But open-label placebo is probably the most radical honesty a patient will ever experience in medicine. No better than placebo. That might have a different meaning if new research on open-label placebo turns out to be valid. Placebo is an inert substance which shouldn't have a clinical effect, yet we know that it can, particularly on subjective symptoms. Part of that effect was presumed to be the brain anticipating a drug. But in open-label placebo, the person receiving it is fully aware that they're getting a placebo, that is, that they're not receiving a drug. So that anticipation shouldn't exist. However, the effect seems to continue. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ, and earlier I talked to Ted Kapchuk, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and leading placebo researcher. Ted has just published an analysis on bmj.com asking what all of this means for medicine. You come from an interesting place. Uh, you know, you're, you're based in Harvard now, you, you're based within a medical school, but um, you weren't trained as a, a, a physician in the first place. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are at the moment? Sure. My original medical training was in China, uh, where I studied traditional medicine, the, the uh, pre-modern medicine of China. I came back to the States. I was one of very few first people to study Chinese medicine in Chinese language at a Chinese school in China. When I came back, um, I enjoyed practicing. Uh, at, but I'm also by nature a scholarly, so I've written some, I wrote scholarly pieces. And at some point, Harvard got a big grant to investigate alternate medicine, specifically Chinese medicine, acupuncture, herbal medicine. And they, they, they didn't have anyone who was really had expertise on the faculty. So despite their, um, their usual thrust, they, I was recruited uh, to join the faculty and I became a researcher in alternative medicine. At, at, during that time, I was rehabilitated. I got sent to take statistics and epidemiology. And I would ask my teacher, and they would all say, Ted, your job is to show or demonstrate uh, whether or not whatever the intervention in, 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 intervention we're studying is more than a placebo. And I'd always raise my hand or one-on-one -on -one say, so exactly what is this placebo effect that you're worried about? And they say, it's the effect, they said, it's the effect of something that has no effect. And I said to myself, Ted, I think this is a more important question in alternate medicine. And I pivoted and submitted grants to the NIH and was funded to what became a placebo research career at Harvard. Mm. Um, thanks. And that sort of sets up our discussion now really well, because um, what you're looking at in this paper that's just been published in the BMJ is open label placebo mm -hmm. so the effect of uh placebo that we know but this case where people actually understand that this is a placebo they know that there's no active mm. ingredient in it and reading this was kind of a little bit um should we say mind-blowing confusing I think that's good <laughs> i like those words 
It's certainly counterintuitive. It is definitely counterintuitive. Yet you present some data, um, some research that's been done that says that this is an actual effect, that things are going on here. So could you take us through um, some of that, that research that you set out in the, in the analysis? Sure. Um, the, the data that's described in the, in the BMJ piece is the outcome of four clinical studies in uh, all of them had about between 60 and 100 patients in irritable bowel syndrome, chronic low back pain, cancer-related fatigue, and acute episodic migraine, and a few other studies like uh, uh, allergy, allergy rhinitis, um, where people were randomized either to uh, usual care plus what we called open-label placebo or honest, honestly prescribed placebo, or usual care, usual care, and the alternative was just usual care without the extra addition. We controlled for time, we controlled for doctor-patient relationship very carefully. And certain and I still am totally surprised, but we in those the studies presented, we get an outcome where the open label placebo is significantly different than the treatment as usual, and it's clinically meaningful, meaning, and these are refractory patients. Um, I don't think this evidence is rock solid convincing at this point. I mean, um, these are small studies. We know small studies often, uh, when they're replicated in a larger sample, don't, don't pan out. But it's really a proof of concept that something may be going on that you could give people placebos, tell them it's placebos, and they still have a positive salubrious benefit from that, that pill that's nothing but microcrystalline cellulose. And the, the, the bottom line to that evidence is that everyone thinks it's counterintuitive and ridiculous, and so, so myself too, because I'm trained in, uh, at this point been socialized totally into biomedicine. And what it does demonstrate is that our early theories or our dominant current theories of placebo are actually not sufficient or maybe inaccurate. Mm. And I think one of the key things in here is um, what was measured in those trials. Um, what was it that you were looking at? What do you think it is that that is susceptible to, to influence of open-label well, we, placebo? We, uh, well, for, for the trials, I think I worked on all of them, or at least I, I was uh, an advisor to all of them, was we picked conditions where we know in randomized double-blind conditions, uh, uh, trials, that people respond to the placebo almost as well as the drug, and sometimes even as well. As where, and we're targeting um, the subjective self-perceptions people have about uh, how they're experiencing their their situation, their medical condition. And I think that's what you're asking me, right? It was really, we, I didn't target malaria or lowering cholesterol. I targeted how you feel about your back, how you feel about your, uh, your irritable bowel syndrome. Am I making sense? Is that, the, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and the reason, the reason we did that is because I don't think there's any evidence that placebos change underlying pathophysiology. There's uh, in the literature. I think there's a lot of evidence that placebo effects have a neurobiologic and even a genetic substrate, where 
when people respond to placebo, you can see neurotransmitters released, you can see activation engagement of specific relevant quantifiable regions in the brain, but we don't have evidence that's going to change objective pathophysiology. Hmm. Now, I want to sort of dig into the the effect that they're having a little bit more there. As you say, there is definitely this sort of uh, neurobiological effect of it. So um, what is going on in the brain? And do we understand, you know, the the processes that are at work? In terms of what we know about placebo effects, it's mostly, in terms of mechanism, it's all based on... um, giving placebos double-blind or with absolute deception, saying this is a real drug, but it's not really. But And it has a shortcoming that these are usually done in laboratories because mechanism studies have, mechanism studies have to be done in laboratories. It has this drawback that most of them are honest, unhealthy normals. So there's a lot of drawbacks, but it's clear, and there are long-term studies too now that's showing this, that neurotransmitters are involved. Um, endorphins, dopamine, cannabinoids are clearly implicated in placebo pathways. It's There are at least 60 studies uh, looking at placebo responses using fMRI and PET. And it's clear that when people respond to placebos, that it, the, there's an activation of specific, quantifiable, and relevant areas in the brain. Um, and then there is also nice beginnings emerging of a genetic uh, investigation of placebo, which suggests the possibility of certain genetic polymorphisms being more susceptible to placebo responses than others. So I think that we, in terms of, you know, the last 25, 30 years of investigating placebos with deception and concealment, we have a lot of data. Presumably, some of that is relevant to open label. I'm pretty sure, but there's going to be things that aren't relevant, and hopefully, in the next few years, we'll get that clarified. We have no mechanistic research at this point on open label placebo. I expect that that will move into the literature in a year or two. I mean, our group is trying to do that. Other groups are trying to do that. But, and, but I would assume. And actually, I've seen some unpublished data, but so I'm a little reluctant to say it, but that similar areas and similar neurotransmitters are involved in open-label placebo. But for, for but the difference would be that you'll get the activation for pain, for example, in the rostral anterior cingulate and prefrontal cortex when you're looking at concealed placebo, but you don't see the, the pre- uh, at least this preliminary data I'm looking at, uh, you don't see the prefrontal cortex uh, activated in open-label placebo. But you know what? We have to wait and see. But but we do we can't, if you want, I can certainly say a few words on what I think might be going on or speculate on what it might be going on. But it's early still. But I think the bottom line is that we can't say that the the old theories of placebo the dominant theories, current theories even, about expectation conditioning are, are unlikely to explain in a psychological level what's going on with open-label placebo. We're very clear to tell people the absolute truth. We know that, for example, in the irritable bowel syndrome or chronic, pain, uh, chronic low back pain, we know that placebo effects are very high in 
double-blind randomized controlled trials. We tell patients that, but we also tell them we have no idea, at least when we're doing those studies, whether telling a patient that they're taking a placebo will still work. We, we, we gave them serious doubt because anything less than truth is dangerous with placebo in the sense that um, placebo is tinged with a lot of bad ethics, right? Because it's so much historically involved with deception and foolery. And when we've been very, we, were, we have been very clear that we don't know if this is going to work. We introduced a high level of uncertainty. If we didn't, patients would have knew we were lying. And I think that that, that uncertainty actually was important. I think the honesty was important because most of the patients in these trials are refractory, meaning they, you know, they failed medical treatments multiple times. That's why they're going to a randomized controlled trial. If you told them, they had no positive expectations when they came in. Um, and they came in because they were desperate. And so the question is, where do I think open-label placebo um, is operating? And I, I can speculate, but some the speculation is based on good science. We know for sure that people can get placebo responses when the placebo stimulus is given below, uh, at, at one, my, uh, my lab did several of these experiments, at 0.12 milliseconds, meaning below the level of consciousness, meaning that you can activate placebo effects without thinking, believing, or expecting anything. Okay, So there's maybe a non-conscious element there. We also know... Um, that the things like embodied cognition, sometimes the body knows something by taking pills multiple times that the brain, that the conscious brain and awareness is unaware of. And the, um, the final speculation is that, uh, and the BMJ article has a lot of citations or some citations to this, is prediction processing, which is the, a cutting edge model in neuroscience and, and computational biology, where um, the sensation that one has is not separable from the prediction one has, meaning at the very tip of the periphery of sending up things up to the brain, there's already embedded a prediction. So that, in fact, we're we're, the speculation is we're balancing in a Bayesian kind of way, priors and, and, uh, and posteriors. Is this really going? Is this not going on? And I, uh, that's the... <laughs> That's my attempt at, at speculating what's going on. But I think we're going to have to do more research on that. I mean, it, it, it's fascinating. And, you know, thinking of the idea of the brain as a giant Bayesian machine yeah, doing yeah. that kind of prior condition, you know, this is my expectation, this is what's changing. Um, it, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Sort can, of I, can I say the thing about uh, honest open-label placebo, is that it's actually a, the most radically, and you know, placebo is, is tarnished by the whole question of deception, but open-label placebo is probably the most radical honesty a patient will ever experience in medicine, meaning um, we tell people it it's a pill that's full of cellulose, and that cellulose has no effect on their outcome, and we're saying, well, maybe it will work. Those are two contradictory, not compatible ideas. On some level, that's really honest in a way that's radical. Patients respect that. They often think it's uh, of it is ridiculous and crazy and wonder why they're going to do it. And so do we. 
Uh, it's hard for us to believe it. And some patients, not all, this is not a miracle drug, respond significantly in clinically meaningful ways to that intervention. So this kind of does open up this idea that, you know, this could become part of the armory of, of modern medicine and, and something that um, physicians could actually prescribe to patients uh, in the clinic in a very radically open, transparent way, as you say. Um, it kind of begs the question, what could we do to maximise the effect Um you know, I've seen stories about how uh, the colour of a pill might affect um, mm. the placebo reaction. Does that mean that we can sort of design a, a more effective open placebo? Um, let me let me just start about the colour of pill, blue and red, in, the, in, the, in that particular study. Um, the placebo literature is full of mythologies or experiments done on students, psychology students, and healthy normals. I don't believe the color of a pill change. I think the evidence is weak. There's a lot of weak evidence that's purported to be valuable. The question, can we enhance placebo effects in a way that would, if this research trajectory of open label placebo moves forward in a positive way, that's, can, we, can we start to think about giving placebos in routine care for refractory conditions or a wait and watch strategy, or when patients just need something else, it, how can we, if we can begin to imagine that scenario, I love your being more positive than me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it gives me hope. Um, how can we amplify it? How can we make it? And uh, I can point out a few things that I think are empirically demonstrated. Um, one is an article that my team published in BMJ increase the response to placebos, this was in irritable bowel patients, uh, by increasing the doctor-patient interaction in terms of asking people not only what about the symptoms, but things about their lives, building a relationship of trust and, and um, uh, honesty between patients, interest in them, attentiveness. Uh, we were able to significantly increase the placebo effect. It was published in 2008 in BMJ. I think that that kind of, we, it's, it's, I think more research has to be done before we can say it emphatically that's true. But certainly there's evidence saying that the quality of the relationship and the more trust we believe, the more honestly we put in that relationship, is likely to enhance placebo effects. I don't think the color will make a difference. I think that's probably the most important ingredient that needs to be further studied that would lead to a maximizing of the placebo response. Mm. I mean, that's an interesting sort of philosophical point. Mm -hmm. uh, what you're talking about there, that kind of um, that human connection of care, the, mm -hmm. the laying on of hands of an examination, mm -hmm. those kind of things. Um, I think a lot of uh, doctors will agree that, you know, sure. having building that therapeutic relationship with a patient um, does help their care, does make people feel better. Um, is that actually placebo going uh, on? Thank you. My, my kid says to me, he went to a placebo conference with me once, and he heard me, I got off, and he said, that, that was okay, Lexi, but you know what? As soon as we understand the, what the mechanisms are of placebo, you can't call it placebo anymore. So 
the idea that the doctor-patient relationship is part of the placebo effect is ludicrous, but it is a fundamental assumption in pharmacotherapy, meaning when we control for the drug, we also include in the placebo effect a doctor-patient relationship. I agree with you um, at, that at some point there might be better ways of describing what we're describing, and but certainly there's some kind of weirdness calling a doctor-patient relationship a placebo effect. But as soon as we really understand the placebo effect, I think that we'll probably not be able to call it a placebo effect. I think that's what you're saying to me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And also, um, you know, in terms of, of that prescribing and, and the studies that you, you quoted earlier, mm -hmm. um, was that something that was going on in there? Was that able to, were you able to kind of isolate the different in, treatments? In the studies and, that we did uh, that we report in this current BMJ article, um, my, myself and other teams, I believe almost all those studies were unfunded or barely funded. So we weren't able to ask any fancy questions. We were really trying to do proof of principle. If you gave people open label placebo on top of usual care, it would be better than usual care. So we were really doing, you know, these are small studies, small numbers, short duration. Uh, we were not able to ask these fancier questions. Those are much bigger things that really need uh, financing on the level of governments and international agencies. So I, that's the best my answer for your question. Part of what we're doing at the BMJ is trying to encourage um, more patient voices in the design of research. So, uh, you know, making sure that the outcomes measured um, are things sure. that really matter to patients. But it occurs to me, you know, as part of that will be things like designing the uh, the process of doing research so that people feel more included and have a better explanation of what's going on for them and, and those kind of things. Um, and if we go back to, you know, what you were just saying about the uh, that kind of therapeutic relationship, um, I wonder if that will have an effect, an additional placebo effect, perhaps, on on some of the things that we're studying that might, you know, change the outcomes of some things. Yeah. Well, for, first of all, I love BMJ because it's willing to make these kind of leaps into, I know when reviews come back from BMJ for me, <clears throat> where's your patient uh, voice in the, in, the in the article? I love that. Um, I have to say that designing our rep, uh, we're doing a replication of our first IBS study in open label, and we asked patients in the first study what did they like and not like about the study. In fact, almost all of these studies have had a qualitative component to actually try to get a sense of what patients thought were helpful, not helpful, what made them stick in the study, what made them, what were the ups and downs they experienced in doing open label placebo. We've published some of that already. Uh, so I think the idea of patient voices is really important. Uh, and I think it's important with drugs uh, therapy. It's also important in any con conceivable idea of, of treatments with placebo. I think even that maybe with placebo, it's a little bit even more dramatically that way. But so I don't think it, your question is too out there. You know, you're setting out a uh, a vision of what might be, as you say, these are speculatory trials, are sort of proof of concept rather than ones that can really, um, you know, set what could be good practice. Uh, what do you think needs to be done now to to investigate that a little bit further? And how far off? Um, I know that's a question that we should ask researchers, but you know, uh, do you feel like um, 
some of these answers might be quite far away or, or relatively close? I think it's really, I mean, I, first of all, I appreciate the opportunity of publishing this article in BMJ and some of the other articles I've published in the last week or two on this question. Um, really, it's a question of, is there a commitment and is there interest? <clears throat> um, the interest is, you know, medical community is not really susceptible, uh, interested in open label placebo, at least the voices around my community. The, uh, you know, the, we want new drugs, we want innovative uh procedures. Um, placebo is down on the list, but there's a, a good argument for considering placebo, the harnessing placebo effects, given that they're relatively safe. They're, uh, if, when, if they're effective, that'd be, it's important, and they have very little side effects. And patients actually enjoy taking them a lot of the times. They think it's fun. It's novel. It's crazy. It's, uh, let's see what happens. So, I, it's, I, you know, thank God I'm not a prophet. I mean, um, as we know, the prophets didn't want to be prophets, and I don't want to be a prophet, and I don't want to be called. But I think that the next stage would be some replication. The BMJ article uh, that you were discussing, um, I, I just, there were two announced replications in the last three weeks, uh, which I put in there. Um, we need more replications, independent replications. And it would be nice to have some mechanistic studies. But the bottom line is, does, do we in the medical community have enough courage and compassion to recognize there are a lot of people with symptom complaints, sometimes medically unexplainable, sometimes we call them central sensitization or have aberrant uh, nociceptive singles or um, whatever we describe them. Is there enough courage and and compassion to see, to hope that we can harness the placebo effect in a direct, honest way to provide some relief. That's a hard one because placebo has always been at the fringe and at the margin. I think there's a possibility that this will happen. Um, and again, it's, you know, luckily I'm not a prophet. Um, but I think patients want that. I, I should say very clearly, there's from huge surveys of patients, populations that I think we cite in that paper, where um, patients said, I'll do this if, it, if my doctor thinks it's important. That's a great idea. So I think it's this, the issue is the medical community. Is this too crazy? Is this too far-fetched? Is this too contrary to what my education training has given me already? I, I'm a little optimistic. Why? Because I, you know, I'm committed that this has some possibilities that would really relieve uh, unnecessary human suffering. And, you know, the fact that the BMJ was um, courageous enough to actually publish that, uh, the, the short um, thought piece we put in um, is a sign that, you know, we're not too crazy. But then again, BMJ is a little crazy <laughs> too. <laughs> well, we'd like to, uh, to ask some questions. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be looking forward to, to seeing people's responses and how this uh, plays out um, in our rapid responses Great. and elsewhere. Uh, Ted, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. It was more than a pleasure. You've been listening to Ted Capture talk about the article he and Franklin Miller have written called Open Label Placebo Can Honestly Prescribe Placebos Evoke Meaningful Therapeutic Benefits? That's now available on bmj.com. 
That's all for this episode. We'll be back soon with opioids and all the evidence for treatment of blocked up noses. Subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss out on that. I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.